Good morning and welcome to another one of Ursa's podcasts. What an exciting week it has been for South Africa. Last week we had a somewhat somber state of the nation and next week our finance minister Tito Mbaweni will be delivering the budget at 2 p.m. at a time when our debt to GDP ratio is expected to reach 95% by the end of 2025. After the COVID-19 shock and increased debt, our exit strategy now matters more than ever. Today, we are once again speaking to Isaiah Mklange, a Chief Economist at Alexander Forbes, and we will be discussing where South Africa's economy is at and what we should expect from our Finance Minister next week. Isaiah, it is a pleasure to have you with us again. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Only our pleasure. So, let's begin. We are in a new year. and 2020 threw many surprises at us, from the COVID-19 pandemic and lockdowns to an economic downgrade deepening concerns about South Africa's fiscal sustainability. What did you make of the state of the nation last week? And what does our growth outlook look like given the current COVID-19 trends? Look, I think the the state of the nation uh, really tried to focus on a few uh, main areas that the president has highlighted. Obviously, first and foremost, is uh, fighting uh, COVID-19 because without actually dealing with the uh, COVID-19, it becomes quite difficult to actually think about the economic revival, economic recovery and reconstruction plan. So it is quite important that we we deal with COVID-19. And fortunately, as you said uh, in your opening remarks, an exciting week. We we got uh, the first vaccinations yesterday with the president, the uh, the, the health minister, and uh, healthcare workers uh, starting to get vaccinated. So we have started to actually uh, uh, you know deal with the COVID nineteen virus going forward. I think it's going to only boost more confidence, um, uh, and it's going to to lead to uh, the reopening of the economy particular sectors that have been closed up, such as tourism and the likes. But I think the other aspect also that came out of the state of the nation is a, a focus on, a, you know, dealing with infrastructure. Um, uh, essentially, the economic reforms that are required to enable the infrastructure investment to continue, uh, because much of our economic recovery or economic growth going forward is hinged on the success of the infrastructure investment. But one thing that I did not hear as far as that is concerned is really the centrality of the private sector in terms of uh, its participation in the economic reconstruction and recovery phase. But you could also say COVID-19 brought this big wave of big government, big interventions across the world. But for South Africa, the one issue that is quite concerning is the fact that it's now a consensus view that we that we now know um, the capacity of the state has been weakened. Now, this big government, big intervention is happening or is being driven or is supposedly to be driven by a state whose capacity is very weak. That's where I find the difficulty uh, in that I don't see it being possible until um, at such a point that the state's capacity has improved. 
and that takes a long, uh, a long time to actually do. Also visible, um, that supports that particular view that the state is weak, is the emergence of a lot of councils and committees um, uh, uh, that the president and some of the departments have connected. It simply shows internally within government there is lack of skills. Um, uh, that's why they augment with all these committees. But the problem with that is it brings about uh, two centers of power between the departments and the established councils, which may be a problem. Um, I think those are some of the issues that come out of SONA, but the other one that is important is dealing with corruption. Um, you know, we, we, we heard from the subsequent discussions in Parliament a, a number of cases and people that are now in front of court, but we have not yet seen um, anyone being prosecuted successfully. Uh, but nevertheless, we now know of uh, many bank accounts that have been frozen, people's assets that have been frozen, that also, uh, of which those people were found to have you know, acted in a way that is not lawful as far as the procurement of PPEs, among other things. So, so far, as far as corruption is concerned, slow, slow progress, but we need to see, um, you know, much faster progress before we can actually expect confidence to rise. Yes, definitely. And I think it's, it's very important that we, you know, continue addressing this issue of corruption because our confidence, as you say, matters a lot right now. And I think what also matters, like you said, the role of the private sector and also addressing the infrastructure constraints. And when we look at the finance minister, he's going to have to address this this week because last week, the Yes, it was last week. Moody's actually mentioned our infrastructural constraints as one of as a red flag and has been given us a has given us a negative outlook. So how do you think our finance minister can what do you think he can do to help address this issue now? Sometimes there's a tendency to uh, ascribe a lot of what needs to happen to the national treasury. To the extent that the finance minister can deal with um, public sector procurement issues, that he can help. But other functions need to be done by our law enforcement agencies and our legal legal system. Those are the you know institutions that have been set up to deal with corruption after it happens. But treasury can uh, put in place uh, you know structures that make sure that it doesn't happen in the first place. And we saw the publication of, uh, you know, an analysis of people that do business with the state yesterday. That gives us a clear view that who in government is doing business with the state while they are also an employee of government, which opens room for corruption. That is in a, you know, a good step in the, di- in the right direction. And we hope it is going to eventually be a prohibition of people that work for the state from doing a business with the state. And from that, we believe that there is going to be a significant reduction in the levels of corruption within within, within public sector. 
Yes. So transparency will certainly help there. Do you think corruption is then the main issue we need to address? Or is there something else um, that the, the finance minister should emphasize? One of the main issues, remember the president said there are four key focus areas, defeating mm. COVID, accelerating the economic recovery, implementing economic reforms to accelerate growth and job creation, and fighting corruption. So it is really one of four key areas. But there are many other things that need to be, to be dealt with before we can actually see a recovering confidence and uh, uh, economic growth. Within the economic reform uh, sleeve, uh, we have a lot of uh, you know, other things that needs to be done within there. So would remember in 2018, the president uh, set up an investment drive to attract about $100 billion of investment. And his report gave us a, 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 you know, an update to say 773 billion rand was committed, but only 183 billion of that has been materialized, uh, which means it's a, it's a very small proportion of what is expected that is actually materialized, especially if you take into account that over the last uh, uh, last year, from first quarter to third quarter, about 1.7 million jobs have been lost, which means there has to be an aggressive investment drive to regain some of those jobs and further create new jobs, which is what also is part of uh, addressing uh, the shock of COVID. The president announced an employment stimulus that arguably, according to the president, has generated about 430,000 job opportunities as at the end of uh, January uh, 2021. Uh, And a further 180,000 job opportunities are being, uh, you know, in the recruitment process, which is which is really good uh, to cushion, um, you know, a, a household uh, uh, from the, the, the negative implication of COVID-19. But government employment, particularly the temporary one, is not sustainable. Uh, it is really just a shock absorber, but beyond that, we need a much more a permanent and durable jobs, which can only happen on the back of successful economic reforms and, uh, and job creation uh, and economic growth. Yes. So you've you've mentioned that we have managed to pull together quite a, quite a strong sort of economic policy given the turbulent year we've had. We, you know, our president has mentioned us focusing on employment as well as infrastructure and also in the health sector by allowing these vaccines to be rolling out. We had minor setback with the AstraZeneca, and, um, but we definitely are working forward. As you said, he um, you know, had his vaccine recently and um, definitely a lot of confidence going forward. Do you think from a policy perspective, the government could have done anything differently with regarding to handling all of the uncertainty from last year? Look, from a policy point of view, I think the initial response from government was uh, swift and very appropriate. From a health point of view, the lockdowns have helped to reduce COVID-19 transmission. Yes, it is a point that is disputed by some, but as the World Health Organization uh, pointed out, 
the virus doesn't move, people move the virus. So it follows, therefore, that the lockdown should help, should have helped to reduce the transmission. Uh, from a monetary policy point of view, the Reserve Bank acted fast and uh, much more aggressively, reducing interest rates, uh, reducing the regulatory capital for banks to enable them to own land to their own uh, clients, which includes corporates and individuals in particular, to restructure some of the loans that corporates and individuals could not service because they have lost jobs or income. And in addition to that, the establishment of the credit guarantee scheme together with the commercial banks and, and guaranteed by the National Treasury. That was a, a, a good policy tool that was provided. And from a fiscal point of view, the 500 billion potential fiscal stimulus, and I'm mentioning potential uh, 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 deliberately because it has not yet, uh, you know, if you look at the quantum of what was spent, it uh, does not amount to 500 billion yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so that 500 billion potential fiscal stimulus was a good response from government, um, you know, which includes tax relief, um, you know, temporary employer-employee relief scheme, uh, and also a COVID-19 grant, among other things. You know, that was the initial response. But in terms of implementation, all these, some aspects were not smooth, um, particularly if you look on the credit guarantee scheme. To date, from last year, uh, when it was established, less than $20 billion have been disbursed to small medium enterprises, uh, which is just about 10% of what is the total uh, uh, credit guarantee scheme potential, which means there's still a lot that needs to happen um, that, that, that can actually help the economy. So mistakes do, did happen even with the procurement of the vaccine, uh, even in terms of the you know, design of the credit guarantees, if, um, obviously making policy in real time is very difficult, especially in response to an economic um, and health shock that we do not have the experience of because we have never experienced something similar, at least in recent memory. So it was bound to happen, but they're being corrected as we go along. Yes, I think, I think you're right. All things considered, um, it's very difficult to make policy, you know, with such, you know, in, in such surreal circumstances. Um, so, so it's very interesting. I mean, and you also mentioned, you know, the importance of the balance between fiscal and monetary policy and how well everyone came together. And when we look at you know, this ability to drive our investment to help our economic growth and move us out of this recession, you know, it really does come down to clamping down on corruption and the coordination of all of these sort of all this spending going through to education, to healthcare, and all the various sectors of the economy. Now, the last time Finance Minister Titan Bueni spoke to us was in October, if I am correct, and he delivered the midterm budget policy statement. And this fell somewhat short of what people were expecting. Now, people are wanting a tax reprieve given the difficult year we've had from lockdowns. And there's also a lot of pressure from workers to receive grants or to continue receiving grants given the high level of unemployment. How should our finance minister balance the tax revenues and spending trends given all the different pulls from 
from the different parties? If you look in terms of tax revenue performance um, at the current moment, actually they have performed much better than what National Treasury had forecasted. Uh, if you take, for instance, uh, the MTBPS forecast for fiscal year 2020-2021 was for a contraction in personal income tax of about 13.9%, a contraction of corporate income tax of about 24.6%, and a contraction of VAT of about 17%. Uh, jointly, all these a contraction in gross tax revenues of about 17.9%. That is what the budget had focused on. But what actually transpired, if you just look from April uh, 2020 to December 2020, uh, 2020 uh, which means three quarters of the fiscal year, personal income tax had only contracted by 9%. Corporate income tax has only contracted by 10.6%. That has only contracted by only 5.4% and gross tax revenue have only contracted by 10.6%, which is all of these are far lower contractions than what was projected, which means for the full fiscal year, if nothing changes, if the recent trends we have seen remain the same, Treasury is likely to over-collect tax revenues by about 100 billion rand or more. Mm-hmm. On the expenditure side, if we look at what was budgeted, National Treasury had budgeted for an increase in main budget expenditure of 7.4%. But the actual increase in spending from April to December, which means the first three quarters of the fiscal year, the increase was only 7%. Again, a slight underspending, which is positive also for the budget deficit. So what this means is we are likely to end up with a budget deficit that is much smaller than what National Treasury has, has budgeted for, which is good, which means some of the required spending on, on the extension of the COVID-19 grant, which the president announced in summer, but also the extension of the temporary employer-employee relief scheme, and, and also the, the spending on procuring the vaccine that was not budgeted for in the October uh, uh, MTBPS can all be done within the current fiscal framework without the need to actually raise taxes or without the need to actually increase our borrowings from what we have been doing so far. So for the current fiscal year, it's a positive outcome. It's a windfall uh, that come out of better performance in the economy than than what was expected, particularly if you look in terms of the pickup in commodity prices, the performance of mining companies, and the royalties that come out of that. That's what helped the the, the tax revenue collections. But beyond the current fiscal year, we still need economic growth to pick up for us to uh, generate enough tax revenue. We still need to stick the fiscal consolidation part that National Treasury has tabled in October last year to regain part of the credibility. Uh, Because if we were to change and say with the extra revenues that we collected relative to budget, we need to spend all of them, uh, we are going to experience difficulties because 
uh, global financial conditions that currently exist that makes it, uh, you know, ample for Treasury to continue to, to borrow will not be here forever. And we are already seeing signs in the market that markets are already moving. For instance, if you look at 10-year swap rates uh, in the U.S., uh, they have increased by uh, 50 basis points. Uh, during the 2013 taper tantrum, they increased roughly at about uh, 100 basis points. So we are already ap- approaching a similar, you know, uh, you know, volatility or change in financial conditions to that which we saw in the 2013 taper tantrum. The difference, though, is it's, it has happened over a longer period of time this time around relative to 2018 when it happened over a short period of time. Wow. This is very good news. And I think if we can achieve a lower budget deficit, that will probably be the best news we could ever have in terms of confidence and our credit rating outlook. And um, that would really, really be wonderful. So on that note then... Maybe I can add something on that as far yes. as the credit rating are concerned, uh, because you know currently uh, Standard & Poor's and Fitch, they rate our foreign currency rating at B, a double B minus, which is three notches below investment grade. While Standard & Poor's is stable in terms of its outlook, Fitch is on negative in terms of its outlook. What we are okay. concerned about is potentially Moody's, which rates us BA2, which is two notches uh, below investment grade, which means it is one notch better than the other two credit rating agents. And it also has a negative outlook. In its comments, its recent uh, credit uh, 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 update or opinion, it did raise some concerns as far as the uh, economic reforms are concerned, the slow pace of reforms that that, Mm -hmm. that are taking place. But I think the better-than-expected tax revenues this year and likely a smaller uh, fiscal deficit this in, in this current fiscal year relative to what was projected is going to be good news. That is going to keep the Moody's from downgrading us to uh, further in line yeah, tell me, Isai, don't you think it's it's only reasonable, though, that there is some leniency given the chaos of the COVID-19 pandemic and all the uncertainty that this brought? I mean, were we, would we have been expected to drive investment as strongly as we would have been without this pandemic? Look, I don't think there, there is going to be, there is need for leniency. Uh, we, we all need to understand function of the credit rating agents. Mm. It is to assess a country's ability to honor its debts and interests when they are due, uh, irrespective of what what caused the increase in debt and the increase in debt, debt service costs. That is irrelevant. So if we look at uh, our ability to service our debt, it has been eroding over time. And that is what credit rating agencies mm-hmm. uh, are there to assess. You know, if we look now relative to how we were two years ago, our ability to service our debt has reduced significantly, which means the probability that we are actually unable to service this debt has increased. It's not 100%, yes. but it has increased relative to uh, you know, a position that we were in. 
for instance, in, in two, year, two years ago. I mean, if you just look in terms of the rise in our debt to GDP ratio, mm. in 2019-2020 fiscal year, it was at about 63.3%. Already in 2020-2021, it's now 81.8%. You know, it's a significant increase, almost 20 percentage points increase, uh, 20% of GDP increase in just one uh, fiscal year. And it's expected to go to 95.3% by 2025. And that is going to require a lot of uh, financial resources just to service that. It will come with a reduction in service delivery. And when we talk about service delivery, we are talking about the reduction in the number of teachers, the reduction in the number of nurses, the reduction potentially even in the budget that are allocated to municipalities to service uh, to, to, to maintain the infrastructure. And that generally will lead to constrained uh, uh, social environment and also lead to lower growth. Uh, and that is what rating agencies look at. It's not positive, but it's also uh, it's not something that they assess with leniency. It's, it's simply assessing the ability of a country to service its debt, and our ability to service the debt has been declining. Mm. Yes, and I mean, you know, when you mention the importance of growth, and it definitely matters in terms of the the economy's sustainability, and how this also matters in terms of service delivery, and, and I think one of the biggest jobs that the finance minister has is to make sure that when he delivers this budget, um, he gives a lot of confidence that the fiscal multiplier and, you know, the sort of the rippling on effects from the spending will be amplified as much as possible. How do you think he can deliver this message in a way that builds confidence? I think if if you look broadly, what we should expect from the finance minister next week, it's not going to change drastically from what we, we had in October last year. A drastic change itself would be problematic because mm. it would mean, a, you know, we don't have predictability in what failure does from, from one budget to the next. But also, if you, if you take the fact that uh, you know, nothing fantamentally has changed between now and and what we knew in October last year. Uh, therefore, what Treasury table must be broadly still be in line with what the minister has table now, except for a few um, uh, aspects that would need to be updated, which, as I mentioned earlier, uh, spending on COVID-19 vaccine, which was not budgeted for, but also the extension of uh, the uh, COVID-19 grant, the extension of the temporary employer-employee relief scheme, and there was a qualification there to say it's not going to be done uh, across the whole economy, but for sectors that have been impacted by uh, the recent lockdown that we had at the beginning of this year. Now, that funding for those was not budgeted for, but fortunately, because of the extra revenues that we have, uh, uh, that we collected at least up to December, and potentially, uh, if nothing changes up to the end of the, of the fiscal year in March, we will be able to 
find that within the current fiscal framework. Mm. So that we, we expect to remain the same. But right. going forward, if we just look in terms of the expenditure cards that are required, what is visible is there is a lot of cards in spending in some of the sectors that are really quite crucial uh, for, 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 for the economy, current expansion, education, for instance. And, you know, suggest that has a bigger multiplier over a longer term because it improves our skill set, uh, though we, we have to agree that improving skill set uh, internally takes a long time. But also a, a reduction in budgets for policy, safety, and security, which is important for clamping down on corruption or for dealing with corruption. Uh, so some of these cuts have ripple effects in mm-hmm. other sectors that are important to make sure that we have a conducive environment going forward that can actually be the base for better economic growth. I think that is where we would expect a better reprioritization in terms of shifting spending away from low fiscal multiplier areas into areas that can generate higher growth for each one grand spend. Yes, yes. That is very insightful. And now, as I, I'd like to throw a few surprise questions at you, just because I'm sure listeners are very curious as to what you think will happen to the following. So what do you expect our finance minister to say will happen? And some of these, I think you, you've already addressed, but I'm just going to throw them at you. And in your first instant response is what I want to hear. What do you think he will say about the public sector wage bill? Increase, decrease, stay the same. Public sector wage bill, a reduction in line with uh, the uh, MTBPS last year. Okay. Uh, 150 billion rand in 2022-2023, largely on public sector wage bill. 300 billion rand combined over the next three years, majority of which is public sector wage bill. It is quite important that it is reduced. The whole fiscal consolidation framework rests by and large on reducing public sector wage bill, which have crowded out uh, spending in other, uh, you know, higher fiscal multipliers uh, within, within the public yes. sector, but also crowded out the private sector. Okay, next one. The COVID-19 social relief grant, increase, decrease, stay the same. We have already been informed by the president that it's going to be extended, but it's the same amount, uh, 350 rand a month, but it is going to be extended. We have expected that because it makes no sense not to cushion those that have lost jobs. But ultimately, it is about uh, making sure that South Africans fare better when this COVID is finished. So that was a, you know, a, a necessary step and expected to be extended as long as we are in a state of disaster, as long as companies are still shedding jobs because of lockdown restrictions. Okay. And then there was a large um, social media campaign by one of our alcoholic beverage companies. They addressed, you know, the hashtag tips for Minister of Finance, and they spoke about the alcohol excise tax. Do you think it will go increase, decrease, stay the same? I think that is going to increase. Uh, And in fact, in my view, even if it was to double the the cost of, 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 of alcohol, I think that would be fine because 
I'm not convinced yet that the the demand for alcohol is elastic. Uh, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's elastic. So I would expect that Treasury can actually generate a lot of tech revenue by simply just increasing uh, syntaxes. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a lifestyle tax, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. So we penalize more the consumption of, the, of things that are not necessarily healthy and all come with a lot of social uh, economic, uh, you know, uh, 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 difficulties uh, in, in society. So I think it's going to be great. Okay. And then in line of what we were talking about, um, you know, in terms of the fiscal moving expenditure towards sectors that have a strong fiscal multiplier, what do you think will happen to the allocations of funds towards state-owned enterprises? Increase, decrease, stay the same? That one is a bit difficult to pick up, but I think we have already seen uh, allocation to ESCOM, so we don't expect anything further there. Where we would expect some new allocations would be to the land bank, given that is quite crucial for the agricultural sector, uh, particularly the grain farming farmers. You know, considering that about 70% of the land bank Commercial farmers and only 30% is to uh, developmental uh, farmers. Uh, so, not supporting the land bank directly affects uh, South Africa's ability to produce grain, but also there are other aspects that we need to take account, uh, which is the potential spillover effects to other SOEs when they want to issue new debt. And you consider this year estimates. Um, uh, uh, for SOE issuance around 15 billion. Now, at what price that 15 billion is going to be issued at can be influenced by what happens with the land bank. So, uh, uh, National Treasury has to provide some allocation to the, to the land bank uh, in order to pro- prevent spillovers to the other SOEs, but also to continue to support the uh, you know commercial farmers that produce a big, uh, you know portion of our grains locally. Okay, and I think the last one, just for the interest of times, what do you think will happen to the tax relief to businesses in distress? Increase, decrease, or stay the same? I think there we are likely to see a new change going to stay the same, given that the economy is recovering, businesses are slowly getting back to work. We have now started with COVID-19 vaccination process, which means things should get better going forward. Yes. Oh, wow. Thank you so much, Isai. It has been a pleasure. And um, we have, I really, I certainly have learned a lot by chatting to you today. Is there anything else you would like to tell our listeners or, or say regarding this topic? Look, I think it's just to remain hopeful, take the vaccine when it becomes uh, available and when we are now uh, uh, eligible to receive it. It is the most patriotic thing that we can all do as, 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 as citizens because it is going to make sure that we retain a kind of normal life as soon as possible. Yes, I certainly agree. Thank you so much. And as one of our previous guests mentioned, you know, this art of forecasting and the art of you know, debt sustainability is more like impressionistic art than an accurate science. So I think it's definitely a time where we've got to balance all of these priorities together 
and we certainly look forward to seeing what the finance minister says given this high level of uncertainty although that being said i think it is definitely somewhat a low level of uncertainty compared to this time last year thank you so much for your time again it's always a pleasure speaking to you and we will hey, definitely yeah thank you and um, we'll definitely keep our eyes posted on the budget speech next week. And um, I look forward to hearing your thoughts thereafter. Also, a big thank you to all of our listeners. And if you haven't yet, please remember to subscribe to our social media channels and follow us by clicking on the subscribe links on our website. Thank you. Until next time, this is your host, Margot G. Have a wonderful day.